Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional territories of the Coast Salish people. So Cameron's part in this whole investigation finished with his death but my part in life now is to try to make sure that this evidence which is Canadian white man pretty much court ready evidence can maybe bring some justice to the right places so that all these Native American families and white kids too do not go missing anymore. On October 4, 2018, a 37-year-old Calgary man traveled to Billings, Montana to celebrate the wedding of his two friends. He would never return home. His remains were found in a creek near a rural property. With little investigation, local officials quickly declared his death an accident. Since that day, his family have fought through grief and loss but they have also fought to find the truth of what happened that night. In this episode, we present the suspicious death of Cameron Collin. And this is True North True Crime. everyone and welcome back to true north true crime this is episode 42 if you are a previous listener welcome back 
If you are new to the podcast, True North True Crime is a Canadian independent podcast bringing awareness to missing people and victims of violent crimes. We are not journalists or investigators, and we are not funded by any media outlet. We put together these episodes using open sources and interviews with people close to the case, with the goal of bringing attention to these important stories. We research, write, record, and produce these episodes as a two-person team. The style of this podcast is not conversational. We do not do banter, nor are we trying to be entertaining. Our goal is to inform our listeners and to do so in a compassionate and factual manner. As usual, we want to thank some people for buying coffees this week. So a huge thank you to Blair, Trish, Colleen, Gloria, and an anonymous donor. If you would like to donate a coffee for an upcoming episode, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. If you're interested in buying some merchandise with the True North True Crime font, you can do so at our Tee Public store. We have crewnecks, hoodies, t-shirts, and much more. We will link that in our show notes. And lastly, we want to thank everyone for reaching out to us over the holiday season. It was really great connecting with you and hearing how much you appreciate our coverage of these cases. We honestly appreciate it. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. Tonight we are talking about the suspicious death of 37-year-old Cameron Joseph Collin. Cameron traveled from his home in Calgary, Alberta to Billings, Montana to attend a wedding in October of 2018. When he arrived in Billings, he attended the bachelor party. At some point that night, he disappeared. His body was found a month later, meters away from where the bachelor party had been held. The local medical examiner's report is at odds with what his family believe happened. To put this episode together, we spoke at length with Cameron's mom, Marion Collin. Marion, who is retired, has spent the last few years fighting to find justice and answers for her son. We also sourced news articles as well as documents about this case. Like many family members in Marion's situation, she has had to teach herself forensics, cell phone technology, GPS coordinates, and how to fight within international jurisdictions. Marion and her family simply want answers. Answers that won't be forthcoming without a fight. This case actually takes place in Yellowstone County in Montana. If you are familiar with the TV show Yellowstone, it tells the story of a small county that is prone to cover-ups by high-ranking government officials. You may find some interesting parallels between fact and fiction in this episode. At the family's request, we will not be using the names of anyone who was at the wedding party or any of Cameron's family members' names. We will, of course, be using Marion's name and Cameron's name. The latter half of this episode will rely heavily on the audio from our interview with Marion. Cameron Joseph Collin was born in the Calgary area on January 31, 1981. Cam was born at a time in which the extended family had a bit of a drought of new babies. So Cam arrived to a lot of attention. Aunts, uncles, great-aunts, great-uncles, cousins, and grandparents. Cameron has a sister as well as a brother. Cam grew into all that love and grew in size to match the expectation of being tall, strong, and handsome like the other men in his family. 
The pediatrician always measured baby Cam twice every visit just to make sure he had the right read that Cam was in the 90th percentile of growth. Cam kept up that growth rate, six feet tall at just 16 and finally stopping at six foot five inches, surpassing the height of his dad and most of his uncles. As a child and as a teenager, Cameron loved sports, soccer, baseball, cross-country running. In grade 11, a coach asked him to try out for the volleyball team. This choice got Cam into several university sports programs and athletic scholarships. He was also a most valuable player in tournaments at Medicine Hat College and at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. In 2002, he received the silver medal for Canadian college university level volleyball. His mom said this award was worth the snowy trip through the mountains to Kelowna for his family fans. It was good fun for the family, and being a silver medal winner in a competition against teams from every province in Canada was a pretty great experience for young Cameron. As an adult, the sports training, learning the importance of team effort, taking leadership roles as a team captain shaped how Cameron worked. He worked on and off in the oil patch every summer break, and this work gave him from the ground up knowledge of how the tar sands worked and how that black gooey stuff ends up as fuel in your car. He also learned that he did not want to work on rigs all his life. As an adult at age 27, Cam went off to school in Butte, Montana. Montana Tech is affiliated with the University of Montana and gave credit for all of Cam's previous courses. This is a decision that Marion regrets supporting now. She wishes that Cam would have just stayed in Canada. In Montana, he found a place to live in a house with other students. One of those roommates was the bride at the wedding that he went to attend in October of 2018. At university, he liked the genuine assistance the tech instructors gave students, and he worked hard to reach his goals. Despite his busy class schedule, Cam still found some time to play volleyball. Cameron took the oath of the engineer and received his silver engineering pinky ring in December of 2011. He crossed the stage in May of 2012 with a Bachelor of Science Petroleum Engineer degree. His mom and dad gave Cam a Golden Eagle medallion for graduating with eagle wings. Both the engineering ring and the Eagle Medallion are now missing in Montana somewhere and have never been found. Despite having extensive energy sector experience, Cam didn't find a job in Canada as an engineer. Instead, Cam found work in Williston, North Dakota. One of Cam's roommates, again the bride at the wedding, hooked Cam up with work as a petroleum fracking engineer. The fracking work took Cam to all U.S. Midwest energy sector states. He also lived in Austin, Texas, and worked south of San Antonio, near the border with Mexico. In between energy sector jobs, Cam worked for a Canadian tech business that sold their technology to ranchers and farms across Canada and the United States. Cam installed that equipment and got it up and running. Often Cam was invited in for a steak meal and a visit at the ranch house. He knew a lot of the ranchers around Billings, Montana. Some of these ranchers offered to take part in the searches for Cameron in October of 2018. He clearly had a positive impact on the people he met. Cam had many good friends in Canada and the United States, school buddies, workmates, and sports friends. At Montana Tech, he played volleyball on a team with all students from Saudi Arabia. He dated on and off, usually women that he went to Canadian schools or colleges with or women from sports teams that he played on. 
According to Marion, the stars didn't align for that long-term relationship that led to marriage. At Cam's funeral service, one of Cameron's first loves commented that Cam had told her that he didn't think he was meant to have a long life on Earth. He compared himself to a Canadian moose, living a solitary life, as moose are rarely seen much together or in couples. His last relationship before his death was with a woman who had two children of her own. He had texted Marion the night of their first date, stating, Mom, this is the one. Cam moved in and dove right into the role by attending the kids' events and cheering them on. As a couple, they had common interests, they enjoyed socializing, and working out regularly at the gym. The woman gave Cam a fossil watch with a brown leather strap for his birthday. It was engraved with, I will love you until the end of time, dated 3101-2017. Cam wore that watch every day, even if the battery needed changing. When his job in the United States came up, the distance made it challenging for their relationship, but they were still seeing each other before Cam went to that fateful wedding in 2018. That watch is still missing in Montana. In an autopsy photo, there is a mark on Cam's wrist where it had been. It is important to note here that with Cameron's new job in the energy sector, he was able to spend two weeks at home uh, for resting in Alberta and then two weeks on the job in the field in the United States. But something was wrong with his job. Cam had started working there in March of 2018. He was really happy with being back in the energy sector after a long stint working on the ranches. Yet going through his emails, Marion noticed that in July of 2018, Cam was applying for other jobs in Canada and the United States. In fact, Cam had received a job interview offer in October of 2018, the month that he went missing. We are now going to get into the timeline that led up to Cam's disappearance and subsequent death. Before we do, there are a couple of points we need to address. The first point, again, is that we will not be using names of individuals that were at the wedding party. This was a request by Cameron's family, and we are going to honor that. The second point we need to make is that there are multiple narratives for what occurred that day and that evening. There is the original narrative that was told by the people attending the wedding. This is what was reported in the media. Then there is the law enforcement narrative based on their investigation and the medical examiner report. And then finally, there is the narrative that Marion and the family have uncovered with their own investigation. This episode is really information heavy and we're going to do our best to simplify things. On October 4th, 2018, Cameron spoke with a friend by phone. He expressed to her that he was excited to travel to Montana to attend the wedding of his university friend and former roommate. Cam was to be a groomsman at the wedding. The wedding itself was being held on a property on the outskirts of Billings, Montana on Pryor Road. The property is quite rural and has multiple buildings, trailers, and a shed. This is like a large work shed, not the small backyard shed. This property could easily be considered a ranch by most city folks. Cameron boarded a plane from Calgary to Denver and then to Billings, Montana. He had arranged a shuttle to his hotel, but his friends persuaded him to take a ride from them, so they picked him up at the airport. 
they went to the Divide Bar and Grill to meet everyone for lunch. It has been stated that Cam barely ate, but he drank four vodkas and then paid the tab for everyone. After lunch, the bridal party continued on to have their nails done and proceeded with their own stagette party. Cameron joined the guys for the stag party at the property. On the way to the property, Cameron stopped at a liquor store and bought a 26-ounce bottle of Tito's vodka. Partygoers stated that he drank half of the bottle on the ride to the property. However, when the bottle was found later, it was only missing three ounces. There has been a narrative that is going around stated by members of the wedding party and the media that portrays Cameron as very drunk that day. But there is other evidence like the vodka bottle being barely touched and another person at the party who stated that Cam was not that drunk. These competing narratives make the story even more confusing. So we know that Cameron made two phone calls from the property. The first was to his hotel. He asked how late he could check in. The hotel stated that he had until 3 a.m. or they could not hold his room. He had the room booked for three days. The second call he made was to a friend in North Dakota. We don't know the contents of that call. At the property, the men had what they called a shed party, which is a party in a large, literal shed. They drank shots of fireball. They shot clay pigeons with live ammo. And they also engaged in arm wrestling that escalated to actual wrestling. There is anecdotal and forensic evidence of drug use at the party. At some point after the wrestling, Cam went to his belongings and changed into a black affliction shirt with long sleeves. According to the groom, this was a sign that Cam wanted to go to town to party. At this point, several stories start to paint a picture of a drunken night. A guest states that they found Cam lying on the ground in the fetal position, perhaps having a panic attack. He picked Cam up and brought him back into the shed. The groom stated that one of the guys chewed Cam out for trying to wrestle and that they got annoyed with him. The group then decided to go to a strip bar in Billings. This is another point in the timeline where again the details get confusing. One person states that they saw Cam passed out on the ground. Another describes seeing Cam leaning next to a chair in the middle of the shed on his hands and knees in a supplicant pose as if he was asking for forgiveness for his behavior that evening. The witness states that Cam was not asleep, but rather just there with his head hanging down. The groom claims to have offered Cam a bed to sleep in, but that he refused. However, the father of the bride remembers seeing Cam being helped into a truck to go to the bar. The mother of the bride mentioned that when she knew the boys wanted to leave, she got another family member to be there as a designated driver. So between 10.30 and 10.45 p.m., the men allegedly departed for the Planet Lockwood Strip Bar in Billings, Montana. So the men claimed to have gone to the strip bar and left Cam behind, sitting or possibly sleeping in a chair inside of the shed. However, GPS data shows that Cameron wasn't in the shed after 7.45 p.m. In fact, GPS data shows that at 10.30 p.m., Cameron was behind Shipton's Sporting Goods Store in Billings. The group then returned to the property from the bar at either midnight or 1 a.m. One of the men mentioned when they returned to the property, he went back to the shed, started the music, and poured himself a drink, thinking the guys would rejoin him there. 
but none of the guys returned to the party and he assumed they all went to bed. Cameron was no longer in the shed. In fact, he was nowhere to be found on the property. On Friday, October 5th, Cam's belongings were still at the house. The bed that they had made for him in a horse trailer remained undisturbed. He did not check into his hotel that night. People from the wedding party stated that they assumed he had, quote, had gone to town and was holed up with some new honey. Cam had plans with a friend to go to a concert on October 5th in the evening. The friend states that Cam did not show up to the concert, so he left Cam's tickets at will call thinking he would just show up. The tickets were not picked up. There is limited evidence that anyone from the wedding party tried to look for Cameron or contact him on October 5th. Then on October 6th, the wedding took place on the property and Cameron was not there. According to the bride, she says she didn't notice Cameron wasn't there until she had walked back down the aisle. On the day of the wedding, Cameron's sister received a message on Facebook from a member of the wedding party. It read, 8.37 a.m. Hey, Cam came to Montana for a wedding. Are you his sister? Then again at 9.08 a.m., we can't contact him. Cam's sister replied, yes, I am at 10.25 a.m. And then, is he okay at 10.50 a.m.? To which she got no reply. Then on Sunday, October 7th, Cameron's sister received a phone call from a wedding guest who told her that Cameron was missing and that they were going to file a missing persons report. At around 2 p.m., Cameron Cullen was reported missing to the Billings Police Department. This file would later be transferred to the Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office. We asked Marion, Cameron's mother, how she found out about Cam's disappearance. Okay, our daughter was reached out to October 6th, but it was not told until the afternoon of October 7th that the reason was because Cam was missing and that a report had been filed with Mont Billings Police. She uh, contacted us and said she'd be late for Thanksgiving dinner, and then she drove to our place. She wanted to tell us in person. We were having Thanksgiving dinner, and that she told us Cam was missing. So we started making calls. I started getting travel insurance and booking hotel rooms in Montana. Cam's dad started packing up to go with our daughter to head to Montana, and the nightmare began. So back in Alberta, Cameron's sister and dad made plans to go to Montana. Marion would stay at home in the event that Cameron tried to contact them. An alert was placed with Delta Airlines for Cameron's flight on October 8th. He did not board that flight. On Monday, October 8th, the sheriff's search and rescue team performed extensive searches all day using helicopters. They even used their propeller blades to push aside long grass. The pilot's daughter wanted more flying hours, so they ran extensive cross patterns between the property and Billings, Montana. Planes were used to fly the highways. They also deployed rafts that were used on Pryor Creek, which is a creek that snakes around the property. Scent dogs were also used, but they did not pick up any scent anywhere, possibly due to the amount of people who were at the wedding. On Tuesday, October 9th, Cameron's sister and his father arrived in Montana and organized their own searches. The bride and groom showed them the shed where the party had taken place. It was then that they noticed a large, reddish-orangish stain on the floor of the shed. When they asked about this stain, the bride and groom told them that a child had thrown up during the wedding. 
However, the next day when it was mentioned to the sheriff's department, the officers said that they were told that it was Cam who actually threw up there. Over the next few weeks, Cameron's family did intensive searches around the area of the rural property. Using drones, boats, and dogs, they searched for Cameron. The family also searched Pryor Creek with pitchforks and long sticks. They dragged the waterway. They also searched the nearby area named Bad Baby Cooley, which is kind of like a valley. We asked Marion about what help was offered by the wedding party. Um, I know the bride and groom stated that they were searching for Cam by October 5th. Testimony that is in the police documentations indicates that really the focus was getting ready for their wedding. There was no proof left on the phone to prove that they tried to call, text, or email Cameron. In October 6th, they went ahead with the wedding. So really, the perpetrators that deleted this data off Cam's phone, and I have proof that there was 300 text messages that I had sent to the to a deputy at uh, Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office on the 8th. And those, there's only seven left. There's only seven messages left. Somebody deleted 273 messages. So that's what you mean. I did the, the technical part. On uh, the 9th, when Cam's family arrived, I guess people just exploded out of the house, all talking and speculating at once. And then the police arrived with a call-in lead that there had been a sighting the evening of October 4th. And so everybody just kind of scrambled into vehicles and went to that area. Besides throwing up a big steel gate to keep anybody from coming and searching the property after October 14th or something, the bride and her sisters went elk hunting. Instead of staying, Julia had arranged to meet and speak to the bride about well, where to search next, what to do. And they went elk hunting. I think it was in Moore or Libby, Montana, where uh, close to where they used to live, where the parents lived. So instead of, here's, here's Cameron's family, you know, searching their butts through culverts, and they're off elk hunting. That's one of the pieces that made me sick. So in that audio clip, Marion states that at some point the bride and groom put up a big gate and began to limit searches on the property. They also left town to go elk hunting. You also heard Marion reference missing text messages that were deleted off of Cameron's phone. We will discuss that later in the episode, so just hold on to that piece for now. There were one or two possible sightings of Cameron in the early days of the searches, but those turned out to be fruitless. Over the next few weeks, Cameron's family traveled back and forth from Alberta to Montana to search for Cameron and do media pleas and interviews with news outlets both in Canada and the U.S. During this time, people who were at the wedding got in touch with Marion to tell them what they knew or what they saw. Here's Marion. Two, two of the wedding guests, one sister and her husband, came up to Cameron's funeral, and so we spoke to them. Briefly, well, quite a bit actually here at our place after the next day, after the funeral. And what we heard there and what we learned in the documentation and what really happened are really three different things. This man said he had seen Cameron um, uh, standing, talking to three people outside the shop um, at about 1030. Now, he himself had said he didn't know he had left that area about 930 to put another guest, wedding guest, to bed in his camper and but he had said that he'd seen these you know camp three people 
So that gave us hope that Cameron was still alive at that point. Now, another story is that um, Cam uh, was um, left in a chair inside the shop. And this is the one the groom has said. And um, that there was a propane heater and that he was, you know, there's three or five different stories. Passed out drunk, um, sitting bobbing in head or just sleeping. Like it depends on the police documentation is, is quite varied. And uh, I know that it was picked and chosen and we don't have all of it. After almost a month of searching the area of the property and nearby properties, Cameron had not been located. At one point in the searches, the groom who owned the property told Cameron's family that they were no longer allowed to have access to his property to search for their loved one. In fact, this is when they put up that large steel gate. Sadly, on November 3rd, 2018, a helicopter pilot flying in the area noticed what they thought was a body resting along the banks of Pryor Creek. Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office confirmed that it was the deceased body of 37-year-old Cameron Collin. He had been missing for 30 days. The area of the creek that Cameron was found is about 120 meters from the shed. This creek had been searched multiple times over the previous month. In fact, cadaver dogs had been brought in to taste the water for the scent of decay. Rafts were floated down the water, and long sticks were used to drag the creek. Yet there he was, found mere meters from where he went missing. And this is where this case gets a lot more complicated. We are now going to take a quick break to check in with our sponsors. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we are back. So before the break, we outlined the timeline leading up to the disappearance of Cameron Collin, an Alberta man who had attended the wedding of a friend outside Billings, Montana. Cam's family and authorities searched for him but were unable to locate him. They also faced challenges getting detailed information from those who attended the wedding. On November 3rd, 2016, one month after he went missing, his body was found just meters from where he was last seen. So a few things were odd about the discovery of Cam's body. He was found on the bank of the Pryor Creek, partially submerged in about three feet of water. 
Cameron was also 6 foot 5 with a 36 inch inseam. The water he was found in was less than 3 feet deep. This is not an impossible drowning, but it does raise some questions. Add to this, it appeared that Cameron's pinky finger was severed and his engineering ring was missing. His fossil watch was also missing, and the Golden Eagle medallion that his parents had given him was missing. Cameron was also wearing cowboy boots that were not his. He usually wore size 13 boots that were black. Instead, he was found wearing very beaten and brown size 11 boots. These were more the style of boot that a ranch worker would wear, rather than a going-out style of cowboy boot. Even though Cameron was in the water allegedly for a month, he was holding a piece of paper in his left hand, his phone was also with him, and this phone worked perfectly when it was turned back on. It was not water damaged. His phone was located in the back pocket of his jeans. Cam usually kept his phone in his front right pocket. What's odd about this is that his passport was also in his back pocket. When traveling, Cameron always kept his passport in a money bag that was around his shoulder under his shirt. In another pocket was the receipt for the group lunch that he had paid for. Even more odd was that inside of his pants and shirt, there was a considerable amount of what could be considered composting sawdust. Due to the decomposition around the head and neck area, it was challenging to immediately determine if there was any injury. But upon closer inspection, it would appear that Cameron had blood stains around the collar of his shirt. We asked Marion to expand a little about the state of the cowboy boots and his clothing. They were cowboy boots, but they were brown and they were size 11. My son wore size 13, but a witness said, contacted me that someone had tried to sell him my son's watch because he recognized something about the engraving and had seen the post. And then later he said, are your son's boots missing? And that is when I went and looked at the boots that we got in the death clothing bag. And they were brown. And they were worn and old and um, size 11. And they looked like a cowboy work boot. Now, I'll have to pull them out again and see. I haven't. Um, they're in a secure location. I sent one boot down for DNA testing. And the DNA testing was inconclusive. But it wasn't cameras. And whereas, you know, we sent the shirt down to Ontario to be tested. And bodily fluids... And they saw blood, and they saw blood all over the shirt and uh, blue jean pocket. Like, we, I think I sent a whole half a shirt down to them because we were advised by the one RCMP that helped us early on. He couldn't help us, but he could help us with how do you send evidence. And he gave us some bags for storage. And um, they found Cameron's DNA on the shirt in the blood. It's definitely Cameron's blood, but an interesting statement is there was evidence of other blood, but they didn't take the DNA imprints of it. So that has to be redone. And um, 
we they knew a group of retired RCMP people who were doing DNA testing and fingerprinting, not, not DNA, fingerprinting. And they tried to find fingerprints on those boots. And they didn't find Cameron's, but they didn't have a good image of any other ones either. So you'd think that if that was Cameron's boot, wouldn't that lab have found DNA in the toe or something? Despite all of these anomalies, the Yellowstone Sheriff's Office was eager to close this case and wrap things up. On Wednesday, November 7th, just three days later, the county sheriff sent out the following email to the department with the subject, Cameron Collin. Quote, We are trying to wrap up this missing persons investigation. If you had any role, no matter how small, in the investigation, please complete a supplement as soon as possible detailing your actions. There are still some unanswered questions, and we would love to fill in the blanks. We would also love to have all of our documentation together in the next week or so. So it appears that even before the medical examiner report was filed that the county sheriff wanted to close this case. In late November, the medical examiner and coroner signed off on their report. The official ruling by the medical examiner was an accidental death due to cold water immersion in association with cocaine and alcohol use. This report never sat right with Marion and Cameron's family. So Marion petitioned for personal representative status on behalf of Cameron as a way to advocate and request information on his behalf. In the last three years, she had hired her own medical examiners and investigators. For the remainder of this episode, we are going to be relying heavily on Marion's discoveries, You're going to hear a lot of audio from Marion as she walks us through those details. We warn you, this is going to be a lot of detail and a lot of information, and we're going to do our best to summarize. So let's start with the medical examiner report. Here's Marion's interpretation of the report and its flaws. There was was errors. I mean, um, he had Cameron weighing 240 pounds, 250 pounds, different report, you know, but... Cameron had lost weight, and we knew he was stressed, and he was probably 180, 190 tops. And, you know, we talked to various other people. There's no way that water in the body would be such as to add 40 or 50 pounds. And there's nothing in that autopsy report that says that there's water in the lungs. Now, we have had, finally, another forensic pathologist look at that, and he says, well, there can be drowning without water in the lungs that the throat closes off so i i pushed him a bit on that and i said but his lungs weigh the same as yours you know 425 395 there's one one lung is always heavier than the other and he looked at that and he says well yes that's true and if there was if it was drowning uh the there would be swelling there'd be swelling of the lung to the extent that it would Go over the sternum, is how he put it. Cameron's lungs, like I say, are just normal. So that's one consistency. Uh, the colors. The colors I um, I had been reading of another uh, medical exam done by this doctor in Colorado. Um, and you can Google the Morgan Ingram uh, Colorado case. And she speaks quite a bit about that particular medical examiner and they were upset that he didn't even get the color of her blue eyes 
So after I read that, I went back and I went back and looked at the colors, the colors of the shorts were wrong, the colors of the shirt. Now you got to understand, I've never heard of an affliction shirt, but Cameron was wearing a black uh, long sleeved, I guess, hoodie, not quite without the hood, but with these affliction logos, great big white ugly skulls and stuff on them. And he called that a green shirt. You know, so what type of, of um, detail is that to give when the witness, this would, this would screw up the witness who saw Cameron, um, or claimed to, a dark shirt, black, um, and cowboy boots walking down the road at 11.30 p.m. on the Thursday, October 4th. And you have a medical examiner who says, green shirt. So that, there's just, with that us off, um, the lungs were off. The the fact that he wouldn't allow, we, we requested a second set of autopsy samples. They don't match. To get a whole set, we'd have to have all of them. But, uh, and refusing to, the sheriff refused to release, is still refusing to release them to us. They're our property. That second set is our property. And uh, when we wanted to get testing done, um, he, Dr. would not help us with the choosing of the panels. It's very complex to choose drug panels. Fortunately, Cameron's friend in, in Canada here as nurse, she helped us and she said, if we don't know what's happened to a body when it comes into the hospital, we immediately do a full spectrum. And what um, was ordered for Cameron was a basic tox kit. I think that what this medical examiner assumed is, oh, another guggy, and he just did a very high-level sporadic uh, review of Cameron's body. He missed the paper in Cameron's fist. Now, that paper has been noted in the police documentation in his left hand. Um, there was a piece of folded paper. So that brings to mind, how did, could that paper have survived in the water? 30 days. And then a nurse, a different one in the States, I mean, all we had, you got to understand, all we had was a picture that I had asked our funeral home director in Canada here to get from Smith Funeral Homes in Montana something that we could see that we, we could say is Cameron. And they said, well, the best parts of him are his hands. So they sent the fists, and I could pretty well say that, yes, those are Cameron's big hands. But a nurse looked at that and said, you know, the tip of his pinky finger, right hand, is missing. And so that's where his ring had been. Somebody tore off um, the ring or, or cut the finger. I don't know. But it's hard to see. We're, we're just dealing with photos, but we weren't allowed to view the body, international law, and uh, they, they wouldn't even open it up for us. I wish that I'd taken a knife and just zipped it open, but the receiver is, you know, if you're doing a thorough, like, you got to think about this. The autopsy is the last chance the body has to give evidence of what happened. Medical examiner didn't even find the receipt for the Divide restaurant that Cameron had paid for the meal for everybody. 
I found it. You know, we, we laid out the clothes about five days after the funeral, I guess we finally got to it. And, and we found paper and we found blood on the collar. So if we could see that blood in, you know, his clothing that was still wet, I mean, there's no doubt he'd been in some water. Uh, clothing was still wet, but we could tell that there was dark fluid of some sort around his neck and, and some on the sides, but it was really apparent around the neck. And why didn't the medical examiner see that? So when you think he missed blood, he missed white paper, he missed dark shirt. And I googled colorblindness. And it says that you can just be colorblind with certain spectrums. And I think with this man, it might be shades of gray and red. <laughs> and otherwise, I think he would have noticed this fluid because we noticed it um, when we got the clothes back. They wanted to cremate Cameron and send him back in a box. They wanted to burn the clothing. We said, no, you put the clothing with the body. We, you know, my husband says, I've searched for this son. So why was Yellowstone in such a hurry to close Cameron's file? Why didn't the medical examiner want to have a second look at his work? This seemed like such a rushed job. It turned out there were also issues with the tox scan, as well as possible blood loss and damage to Cameron's body that was not documented. Here's Marion. When we did get that second sample done, the toxicology, the first tox report, you got to understand, was ordered by the county coroner. And he, uh, his report said, the toxicology report could not be completed due to lack of blood. There wasn't enough blood sample for them to do the tox test. They had to send a tissue to NMS Labs to get the tox report done. And that tox report came back with, you know, mineral, uh, cocaine, and uh, ethanol. Now, ethanol can be also from deterioration of the body. It doesn't necessarily have to be alcohol. And that's what's being tested now. But the, he would not, the medical examiner would not... Uh, allow us we had to have it submitted by him nms labs cannot talk to a private individual so it had to be submitted and then when we wanted to question some of the huge amounts and funny amounts that were on our toxicology report this medical examiner would not email or phone nms labs to give them permission to speak to us why? Why why would he not let us speak to them? And we it's hard to understand these these reports, but we could tell that, that the numbers were off. Plus, again, a nurse helped us and said, What is quinine doing in here? Well the medical examiner's explanation of that was it's tonic water. Like Cameron drank gallons of tonic water, so it showed up in his system thirty days later. He didn't drink tonic water. He's a rye drinker. So quinine is actually a cutting agent for heroin or fentanyl. And um, that was in his system, this quinine. But of course, after 90 days, you can't test even the hair 
for heroin or fentanyl, the medical examiner did not take hair samples. He did not take fingernail samples. I mean, we can visualize our son fighting for his life and making sure he had hair and scalp and stuff under his fingernails. They never took the samples. So if you want to, the whole medical examiner, it just seems like a sloppy job, maybe not intentional, but it truly screws up families who are trying to find the truth. And um, we, we've heard that his work has been questioned, you know, many times by, by others. There's also concerns that there were other injuries that were missed on Cameron. One nurse looking at photos observed what they believed was a broken nose. There is even evidence that perhaps he was shot or grazed by a bullet or injured in a fight. There must have been damage. And for them to send us the police documentation, we, couldn't, we didn't realize why the top of the skull was covered off and the chin was covered off. Well, if there had been a blow to the head, but, you know, that whoever sent us that stuff covered that off, we thought, and covered off the chin. If you broke someone's jaw, you wouldn't want that to show in the x-ray. Now, this other pathologist who's still trying to, to help us, he's, he's working on something for us, said, well, okay, you've been given the, the uh, identity x-rays, proof of identity to show that Cameron had a dental implant in his teeth. So you can see the dental implant, but why cover off the bottom of the jaw? And again, another nurse in the States looked and said, well, do you know that his nose is broken? There's no comment about this. So we have a rushed medical examination and a medical examiner who doesn't really seem to be wanting to help the family. But there were other things that were missed as well. Earlier in the episode, we mentioned that hundreds of text messages were deleted from Cameron's phone. Well, someone also went into Cameron's Google account and deleted his GPS coordinates and other files. A Calgary-based medium got in touch with the police. This psychic told them to focus on the numbers. And that's what Marion has done. In the police documentation, there is a statement sent to them from a Calgary medium. I was very surprised to see it there. They claim to have connected with Cameron. Cam says, where's my phone? Alone. I'm done. I gave it all I had. The pinging's important. He told the medium and stressed importance to stay on numbers. So I guess that's what I've done, is I've stayed on the numbers. The GPS points have, in in depending on which account, like you think of the Google account as just an account. It's got 50 folders, really, um, or close to. The GPS points have the probability of activity attached. And for example, if the GPS source is Wi-Fi, this is on location history, Google location history, the phone is really close to that location if it's close to the Wi-Fi. If on that same line, the activity type is exiting vehicle with confidence 100%, then if there is a computer timestamp saying 1538703887964, it means that Cameron Collin and or his cell phone were exiting a vehicle at 2018 
at 7.44.47.964 p.m. This tracks down to the millisecond. So although the Google location history was altered, it has been restored. The GPS and um, locations show that the last time Cameron was ever in or near the shop was well before 7 p.m. He never was near the shop after that. He was located in the house or elsewhere. And that's where the power of the GPS, uh, you know, a technology should be looked at. But what the law should do is take all their evidence that they had from 2018, October, December, and now put it beside the GPS knowledge and go and re-interview people based on it. But um, basically, the sheriff feels that Cameron uh, was disorientated and walked himself into the creek and intoxicated. And that's his story. The last GPS point is for location history is 10.49 p.m. And, you know, you can assume, well, that's when Cameron and the phone hit the drink. But when we got the technology for the forensics, at 10.49, Cameron's phone was at uh, an area about 15 miles north called Indian Arrow Creek Indian Road. It comes up on a GPS as being K2 to 12 Huntley school project uh, but anytime that GPS Google GPS doesn't have an address they'll put the school district in as Marion began to investigate the GPS locations on Cameron's Google account what she uncovered was that before Cameron's body was found his Google account was accessed in many locations some of these were in homes sometimes in offices and sometimes with his actual phone that's right, his own device was used to access his Google account, including on October 24th at the Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office. How was his phone used at the Sheriff's Office on October 24th if it wasn't found until November 3rd? But the GPS truth is that someone at that location of the bachelor party and wedding was in Cam's Google account, using his cell phone device, and later his Google account access to search other locations. So think of it, the bachelor party GPS location on Prior Road was in the account October 9th, December 3rd, 19th, December 20th, 2018, twice in 2019, and once again in 2020. And the GPS truth that is on October 10th, GPS locations in North Dakota, Randlett, Utah, and Billings, Montana, were in the Google account. On October 11th, GPS in Ballard, Utah, North Platte, Nebraska, were in Google account. October 21st, Calgary, Alberta, Lance Creek, Wyoming, Roosevelt and Randlett, Utah, and Billings location were in the Google account. On October 24th, 2018, Cam's cell phone Device, so device, the Google Maps said, um, from your device, and they gave a GPS point. 
and that GPS point is the sheriff's office um, and updated the data. This was nine days before the body was found. This was not authorized activity. The phone was not logged into evidence. The Colin family was not informed that it had been found. It was found with the body. So there's the question of how did it get from the sheriff's building to the creek where they found him again? And, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. October 26th, Helena, Montana GPS location. Now, this building belongs to a union that deals with schools and education. was in the account, and there is a GPS location from a new, nearby street that was in the account. And this location did a backup of Cameron's Google account. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a backup, but you can backup, and it gives you what's called a takeout history. This particular takeout was noticeable because it only used, asked for the location and the data was deleted. Unfortunately for whoever did this, when they deleted the activity, it went to Google trash and they forgot to empty the trash. So that's where I found this takeout. Now in 2019, January 4th, location at La Paz Drive was in the account happens to be a location where one of the sisters lives. On January 11th, locations at two properties on Old Highway 87 were in the account. These are being the exact location where Cameron's phone had pinged Wi-Fi, meaning close to on the evening of October 4th. And frankly, it's the addresses where our technician in Alberta said that that's where Cameron's phone never came back from. On November 28, 2019, Silvergate Cook City, Montana was searching in Cam's Google account. And what is really odd about this is that is quite a ways away. On November 28, 2019, also, there was a different address in Calgary, Alberta that was in the Google account, extensively and altering data. Now, this Calgary locations, the two light Calgary locations is now why the RCMP have been able to create a file. Um, they couldn't help us with the death, but they could help us with unauthorized access to the Google account. This is a cybersecurity felony in the USA. And at the very least, it's a mischief demeanor in Canada. And it took them a while, but they finally have got all their data and they are actually working on our behalf, which was, I only found this out this week, so it's a huge relief. So to summarize, in the weeks and months after Cameron was reported missing, his Google account was accessed many times and from many different locations throughout the United States and Canada. While this could be done with a VPN, it is odd that one of those locations happened to be the sheriff's office. Now, while people are listening to all of these details, it's important to highlight the fact that Marion and Cameron's family are doing this all on their own. They are getting little to no help from any authorities. So as much as they can uncover all of these details, it is absolutely necessary that an experienced investigator put all of this evidence together. We asked Marion what she has learned about the official investigation and what her concerns are. So the issue with the investigation is that once the body was found, November 3rd, 2018, 
there wasn't an investigation. The police documentation received finally in December 2019 by court petition had an email in it dated November 7th, 2018. Senior deputy, lieutenant, whatever, asking for all reports to be sent in right away so that the file could be sent to a county attorney office. Cam's body was not even back in Canada yet. There were further statements added to the file in December 2018 before it was sent over to the county attorney office and a further statement from March 2019 added when the court petition was partially completed. Now this was from a witness who called but had not been contacted in October 2018. So this witness had called in October saying, I've got something I want to say and they never contacted him to take his statement. But he was witness, this witness was diligent and insistent on giving testimony on what had been seen on that property. In contacting this person, myself, and sending a photo, now this would have been probably 2020 already and then, um, sending this photo clearly identified that this person of interest on the property was someone attending the wedding service. We know that this friend of Cameron's did not assist in the search for Cam. So there was no investigation, and this is an inactive file. It's been an inactive file since uh, June. It was, it was in, in, inactive way before, but I only got it in writing from the sheriff in June of 2020. But there is a file. This file says State of Montana versus, and I'll just leave that blank. But there is a man's name in there. There is a file, State of Montana, Montana versus. So why was this created and not prosecuted? The issues are that new evidence from forensics on death clothing apparently has not been deemed enough to reactivate the file. The composting sawdust on the inside of the clothing, the missing jewelry, missing money, missing cowboy boots, the presence of drug on the clothing, and that was tested by a firm here in Canada out of Sherwood Park. They came and they tested all the clothing and they found, I think, four or five kinds of drugs on the clothing. MDNA, meth, amphetamines. Uh, it was all there. The fact that the cause of death was cold water immersion due to influence of alcohol and cocaine. And yet, these statements were made by the coroner the day after the autopsy. So autopsy is November 5th. The coroner, this is a different man, is making a statement that it's influenced with of alcohol and cocaine. The, the samples hadn't even been sent to Montana State Crime Lab yet. And he made that statement. And then on November 21st, he certified that statement. And then on December 12th, the uh, medical examiner signed that off on his autopsy report. The very same wording. It's like a rubber stamp. So for legal reasons, Marion could not fill in the blank on the file Montana versus blank. And we do not know what that blank is. But it would appear that at some point, there was a file being worked on to bring charges against someone in relation to Cam's death. As frustrating as this has been, Marion says that she will continue to work with the authorities. Many families who have missing or murdered loved ones fear making authorities mad. 
There is a fear that they will no longer help you if you get too loud with them or ask too many questions. I'm going to try to work with these people. I'm going to remain in contact with this county attorney place and explain, well, I've got this to help you. And it's the same thing with the RCMP. I'm going to try to work together with yeah. them saying, this is what I've found so far. Otherwise, it's going to take them the same. Well, I won't say this has taken me three years, but because I was in grief fog for the first year. Um, but I, I've been working on this really steady for two years. I believe that my entire life's training and all my work as a controller, as accounting manager, director of finance, leading teams, and accounting is detail, attention to detail, and removing barriers to make the next period end better, the close better, more accurate. And I believe all my training was meant to happen so that I could look at this data and see the anomalies, see where it doesn't connect. And the truth is in this. And um, I, I will make sure that law enforcement um, will see this. Our, my hope is the RCMP, but I'm not waiting. It's, I'm just, I'm not stopping. <laughs> Marion has spent the better part of the last three years compiling this evidence. She has battled grief, she has battled health issues, and she has battled bureaucracy. We asked her what, if any, theory she has as to what happened to Cameron. What do I believe happened? Well, I will postulate. And that means make a great big guess that I cannot be held accountable for. The executive summary is for a long time in this search. I've thought that there is three groups of perpetrators. So group one are members of the wedding party and or close associates thereof, whether that's family or friends. For whatever reason, intentional or accidental, an altercation occurred. Cam died or almost died or just was concussed or they thought he died. Um, I postulate that the groom never accepted Cam's continued friendship with his past roommate, who is now his wife. The groom may have been upset that the bride helped Cam find work in the States. He came to visit them as he was flying through to jobs. The groom may have even been upset that Cam even showed up for the bachelor party. But Cam was an invited guest to the wedding. Anyway, we have the invitation card. And therefore, his health would be the responsibility of the groom and the bride on that property. We heard a rumor about something that had happened, um, that there was a, they called it a tussle or whatever. But groom may have been upset that Cam stepped in and defied a, defended a woman that the groom had been verbally abusing. Cam was that type to defend others. And so group two, in my postulation, is was it Cam, dead or alive, to take care of, was given to someone else so it could be figured out what to do with him. I think all that time that Cameron was, GPS point was in the southeast corner of the house, he saw something. 
and maybe that was something that he shouldn't have seen. Was he placed in a freezer? Who put the composting sawdust accelerant on his body? It was inside the clothing. And so that's just group two. Group three is someone much higher up, which much more invested in the game. And I suspect they are upset that the situation has not gone away. And these are the GPS locations that were all over in the Google account, editing October 4th timeline and location data. There's some network, maybe more than one network. Maybe each group is involved in a different network. But there's no reason why someone should be um, in Cameron's Google account that extensively. And that's my piece on that. So in Marion's theory, there was some kind of altercation at the wedding, either a fight or something more sinister. Something happened to Cameron. He was accidentally killed or intentionally murdered. This was group one. And then group two and group three had the means to cover things up. But why? This is what needs to be found out. We asked Marion how our listeners could help. Listeners can look for evidence. Talk to people about this case. What they remember, hearing, seeing. Listeners who are close to Billings. This could have happened to your child. For many in Billings area, this has already happened to your child. Especially if your heritage is Native American. Your child may have gone missing and never found. We at least eventually had a body. And because we could afford a court order, we got some police documentation. Talk to your law enforcement, whether that be the Billings Police Department, who should have been involved, because Cam was a deemed resident of the city because of his reservation at the Baymont Wydham Hotel. His missing report was given to the police, Billings Police Department. How it ended up with Yellowstone, well, remains to be seen. If this ever happens to you, make sure the proper police are on the jurisdiction for your case. Has anybody on the Crow Reservation seen these people called phone runners? We heard the term, and they're used to run phones around to different locations. For what purpose? Remains to be seen. To the people of the wedding party, you were Cameron's friend. I can see it. I can see it in all the documentation, the the pictures, the parties, good times. You're Cameron's friend, and he deserves the truth. So please, one of you, all of you, I've tried to describe how accurate this evidence is. The death clothing forensics, the cell phone forensics, this is, this is not a game. It's real. They're real reports, and... Um, if you, if there's someone that, that supposedly is telling you they can't find the truth out of this evidence, they're wrong. It would be best if you just told the truth to someone. And you can message the Cam Call and Updates page, and we will put you in touch with the private investigator that has now agreed to help us. 
The story of how Cameron Collin died is a complicated one. This was not just a simple death or a case of misadventure. There seems to be enough evidence to warrant this file to be reopened and a full investigation be performed, preferably by an outside eye. The inconsistencies in the medical examiner report, the quickness with which the county closed the file, the Google account, the GPS, the movements after his disappearance, the lack of help or clear narrative from the wedding party goers, the bloodstains on his clothing and in the shed, his missing cowboy boots, his phone being used at the county sheriff's office. All of these things are suspicious. Marion and her family have been put through hell with this tragedy. Their grief is ever-present, but still Marion fights on. She has challenged government officials at all levels. On a grassroots level, she has connected with local Montana indigenous communities who also feel that their cases are too easily dismissed by Yellowstone County. They express that often these cases in Yellowstone are quickly ruled as accidents, exposure, hypothermia, or suicide. Cameron was an invited guest of a wedding, and as such, the hosts legally have a duty of care to all who were on their property, including Cameron. If someone is invited to a wedding that is flowing with drugs, alcohol, guns, and live ammo, surely there is some culpability here. Cameron was also working in the United States, and as such, he is afforded the same rights and civil liberties as a U.S. citizen. This includes his right to a proper criminal investigation into his death. Despite the controversy and tragedy surrounding Cameron's death, on November 10, 2018, 500 people attended his celebration of life, and another 300 people watched the ceremony through a webcast. Cameron Collin, or Cam Canada, as he was known, is loved. That much is true. However, getting to the truth of what happened on that rural property in Montana is proving to be difficult. If you were looking for more information on this case, Mark at the Catch My Killer podcast recently did an episode and interviews Marion and Cameron's sister. We recommend you check that out. If you want to keep up to date with this case or just show your support, we recommend that you follow and like the Cam Collin Updates page on Facebook. We will link that in our show notes. We would like to thank Marion and the estate of Cameron Collin for trusting us with their story. We will keep you updated as information becomes available. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We know it was a long one with a lot of detailed information. Our producers on the podcast are Colleen, Sean D, Clint, Shandy, Jimmy H, Jessa, Sarah BW, Lisa Marie, Amy's Book Reviews, Thomas E, Susan S, Alex and Andrea P, Kennedy, Alberta, Cindy McD, Blair M, Alyssa S, She's a Jesse, Anastasia, Ariel E, Melanie E, Kelly D, Carolyn M, Emily L, Jason D, Jimmy H, Tiffany C, Keith R, Mari M, Lorena, Queen Nebula, Maureen, Jesse DR, Louise Rickshaw, and of course, the Missing and Unexplained podcast. Thank you for joining us. We will be back soon with a new episode. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.